I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles to please turn with me to Romans chapter 1. I think last week we did one verse. We're going to do a few more this morning uh, as we, by God's grace, move through. And I just want you guys to really, really understand, as academic as this letter is, this is, you know, the theology in it is superb, outstanding, stupendous, all that good stuff. But it's a very warm, warm letter. I mean, Paul is writing from his heart. He loves this congregation. He loves them so much. And I want you to get that as we go through this. We're not, we're not just going to concentrate on the, the amazing doctrines. Yes, of course, they are there, the working out of those doctrines. But I want you guys to just see the the passion in Paul's heart, that love that he has for those people that he's writing to, and for, for the church and for, for, his, for the Christians. So I'll read uh, verses 1 through 7 of Romans chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. Thank you for your precious word. Again, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would give us understanding, to challenge us, Lord, to see that life apart from Christ is is futile, It's, it's there's, there's nothing there that lasts and no hope that truly gets us through, Lord. It's in Christ Jesus we find our, 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 our fullness, our identity, our purpose, our meaning, Lord. The hope, not just for this life, but for all eternity. I pray that comes through even as uh, the word is preached this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, please uh, be listening because... Um, He's given, this This is given the, like the heart and soul of this whole letter right here, the things that I just read. It, it's, it's the gospel. That's what it is. The foundation is the gospel in all of this for the most part. The rest of the letter of Romans and everything we're going to be looking at is just, uh, it, it explains our need for the gospel, first of all, especially the first three chapters, why we need the gospel, why we need the good news, right? And then the Beyond that, it's kind of the implications regarding the gospel, what that means to be a Christian, to live for Christ. It's a big deal. So Paul is, is writing that, but he starts off so importantly with the, with the foundation, what's so important for us as Christians, and which we often kind of overlook or downplay or kind of assume, is the gospel itself. That's what it's all about, man. It's all about Christ. It's all about the gospel that changes our lives. It changes our position, our status. So Paul starts off with that, and he does it in an amazing way, in three different ways. It's just so cool. It's so good. He gives like a threefold description kind of of the gospel because he wants, Paul wants his readers to know that it's the gospel. That changes everything. It's all about the gospel. And the first thing he wants them to know, that it belongs to God. It's the gospel of God, number one. Number two, it is promised in the scripture. 
And not just promised in the scripture that, that the gospel would be made manifest fully, but it's the promise of scripture. That's what the scripture is really all about. Is it centers on Christ and his redemptive work. That's what it is. And the hope that he gives to lost sinners, to lost people like you and like me. And then number three, it all centers on Christ Jesus himself. He is the one. He is the savior. So it's, he is the central figure of scripture. And Paul brings that out. He's at the heart of the gospel. It's his gospel and he carries it out. So, Number one, it's of God. Paul says it right there. He says, I'm a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for what? He's set apart for the gospel of God. Number one, set apart. It is of God. That word for gospel, a lot of you know what it means. I mean, you know the word, right? Euangelion. It's the, it's the evangel. It's the, it's the good news. And that's what that means. Euangelion. That's what he's set apart from. And, and it's important to know that the gospel originates with God. It's his gospel. It's of God. It's from God. It's his divine purpose. It's his divine plan. It is his design. And that's good news for us because everything else out there is derivative. This is original. This is from God. This is the one. It's the That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to God. Everything else is derivative from this. This gospel does not come from man. Listen, every other religion, every other system has to borrow. It does. It just borrows aspects from what we have, from, from Christianity, from the gospel of God. The one who created all things, who made all things. The gospel is from him. It's his gospel. See, all the other religions, every other philosophy, they do have an idea, don't they, of kind of a salvation. If you do certain things, you will be forgiven, hopefully, maybe, perhaps. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of becoming a better person to get to that better place, hopefully, right? And, and it does speak about e- eternity. That's all derivative. That's all borrowed from the gospel from the original. The gospel itself, the gospel of God is not something that man would come up with on his own. Again, he's going to borrow aspects of it, but he won't come up with it on his own. Why not? Why won't he come up with this gospel on his own? The answer is real easy because it does, because the gospel doesn't depend on man. It depends solely upon God. It's of God's, it's his gospel. Every, every other system philosophy kind of, at least to a degree or somewhat, or maybe even in big ways, depends on you, man. Depends on what you do. Depends on how good you are. It depends on you doing something to appease the gods or to earn or to merit or to achieve or to prove yourself worthy of getting to this, this place. Worthy to be accepted or acceptable, right? This gospel says, no, 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 no. The gospel says, you're unwilling and you are unable to do that. The gospel is all of grace and it's all of God. And that's why it's good news. It's good news. Evangelion is good news. It's good news, man, because we're bad. That's why it's good news. And we're going to see that as we go through Romans. Beginning in Romans 1, 18 to like the end of chapter 2, or middle of chapter 3, you're going to see how bad we are. And we don't like to say that these days because we don't want people to feel badly about themselves and we want to maintain or retain just a little bit of goodness for ourselves. Spiritually speaking, man, no, 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 no. The Bible says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. 
There's nobody who does good. That's going to come through very, very clearly. So it's good news because we are bad, because we are sinners. And you know what? We're in a bad place apart from him. You're in a very dangerous and precarious place apart from Christ. Do you know that? You understand that? Apart from him, we're told in the Gospel of John, those who believe in the Son have eternal life. Those who do not obey the Son do not have life, but the wrath of God remains, remains, abides upon them. In other words, we're already under his wrath. It's the Gospel, the good news that sets us free, that changes the relationship. That's why it's good, because we're bad, and we're in a bad, precarious place in terms of our relationship to God. If you die apart from him, there's no middle ground. You just don't go poof and it go away. There is judgment. There is pain. There is hell forever. Scary, yes. That's why Christ came. The good news is he delivers us from that. The good news is that he is the only answer to our massive problem, the massive problem of sin. He actually reconciles us to God. That's good news. Because we're estranged and we're enemies. And we're going to see this in Romans chapter 5. That he reconciles us, unworthy sinners, to holy, righteous God. That's a good thing. That's good news that we're saved from our sins. It's good news because it actually changes our status, our position, our situation. Do you know, apart from Christ, what are we? What are we? We are enemies of God. That's it. No, it's no, God, you're kind of okay, and you're kind of good, and I want you on my terms, and I'll take you when I want you. You know the, how insulting that is to God? Like, who are you to tell me how you're going to love me or, or treat me and bring me into your life? Are you kidding me? He is God who made you. We answer to him. Understand? So, so it's the, the good news changes that status from being enemies to being sons and daughters from being on the out to be totally in with God, from sinners to saints. He transforms our lives from the inside out, not just for this life, but for all eternity. That's good news. That's the evangelion, that Christ died for sinners like you and me, was buried and raised on the third day. That's excellent. That's, so Paul says, I'm a minister of the good news of God. That's the original. That's the gospel. There is no other way. And I know in our day and age that sounds, oh, you're so exclusive. Oh, you're so narrow. Oh, you only have one way. Because there only is one way. That's it. We can't back down on this. We can't compromise on this. There is no other way. You have my friends and neighbors and say, oh, this pastor's over there saying there's no other way. It's not this pastor saying that. It's Jesus Christ who says that. I'm just telling you what Jesus Christ already teaches and tells us, that he is the only way of salvation. He is the original. It is of God. It's the gospel of God, not of man. That's why we preach it. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we don't compromise. That's why we don't say, well, just do the best you can with what you believe in, and maybe you'll be okay. No, 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 no. You need to repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and forsake all your other gods, forsake your old religion, and come and rest in Jesus Christ. He is the only way. That's the gospel of God. Amen? That's good news. Good news. It saves us. From sin, Satan, death, and hell. Praise him. That's number one. Number two, God, the gospel is promised in scripture. Paul says this, for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son. So it's not just, a, it's Paul's, the, the good news of the gospel of God. It originates with him, number one. Number two, 
It's not anything new, man. It's not the gospel, the preaching that you must believe, repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. It's not a new teaching. It's not something that just came along with the New Testament. It's always been this way. You understand? It's the promise of Scripture. It's not something new. It's not plan B. You know, well, there's one way for the, for the Jews and the Israelites. There's another way for the rest of the world. No. There's always been one way, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ, even for the Old Testament, because Christ was promised in the Old Testament. It's always been about faith. It's always been about trusting. It's never been about works. It's always been about God's grace. That's why he's the one who can save us. So when you think about the gospel and scripture, it's not just something that came boom with Jesus, but it's always been there. It's just been unfolding. It's like a beautiful plant that, you know, the, the, the plants, the flowers are starting to what? They're starting to blossom beautifully now. They're little seedlings, but everything's in that seedling. Everything that you need, it's just a matter of developing. It's just a matter of coming forth of, of, of blossoming and coming to fullness. And that's what this is. That's what the Old Testament's about. That's why we love it. That's why we can't unhitch it. That's why we can't throw away, oh, forget about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is so important because it confirms and teaches us about the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We need to learn it and know it. And when you get to understanding that, ask the women that are taking the Revelation class how much they love, not just Revelation, but they love the Old Testament because that's really fulfilling so many of the promises there. Amen? It's good. It's all connected together. So long before the incarnation, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, we had this promise. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. And Scripture says this, after the fall, during the... Meeting out judgment, the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between you, your offspring, and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Do you know how it goes to? That starts right there in seed form. You know where that ends up? It ends up at Calvary and the cross, where Satan does bruise the heel, but the Lord Jesus Christ crushes the head of the serpent through his death and resurrection from the dead. Do you understand? So that's called the, the proto-evangelion, kind of the first preaching of the gospel. That good news, evangelion, is right in there as well. So it's long before. Genesis 22, 7 and 8. <clears throat> this is when Isaac was told by the Lord to sacrifice his own son. Isaac's not aware of what's, of what's going on at that time, and he's kind of asking, where's the sacrifice coming from? <sighs> this has a short term but definitely looks forward to Jesus Christ. That's what the Old Testament does in so many ways. Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, he said, I am here. My son, he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You see that? You see a picture of Christ? God's going to provide the lamb for that burnt offering. Not simply for that offering there, but in greater offering for sin, for our sin. God's going to provide the one who's going to cover and make a way of salvation for sinners like you and me. He's going to be our sacrifice. Promise way back in Genesis. Isaiah, I do want you to turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. See, the gospel was promised in Scripture long, all the way through. All the way through. And that's, that's what Paul's saying to these people in Rome. It's always been there. This isn't something brand new. This isn't a new plan, but it's the fulfillment of God's eternal plan of salvation. So Isaiah 53 Tell me if we seek, we know these passages and how they apply to Christ. 
beginning in verse 2. For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should even look upon him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Yet surely he bore our sin and griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've gone our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. By oppression, he was taken away. Do you see? Hundreds of years before Jesus came, hundreds of years before the the gospel was preached in that way, the gospel was already being preached and seen. Hundreds of prophecies in the New Testament point to Christ and this. Paul's just making sure. He wants you to know this is nothing new. This isn't a new kind of teaching. This is is always the way that it's been. And that grounds us in reality. It doesn't switch. It doesn't change. It's constant. Everything, most everything pointed or foreshadowed Christ and the gospel. You know, even the people, some of the people, like Moses, Jesus is the greater prophet than Moses. David, who's the king, Jesus was, was David's Lord as well as his son, right? David trusted in Christ by faith. Abraham trusted in Christ by faith. In the Old Testament, we think about the offices of prophet, priest, and king. Who fulfills those offices perfectly? Jesus is our high priest. He is the high priest. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord's of, Lord of lords. Amen? He is the prophet who brings us the good news. So all this is pointing for, looking forward to Christ. So if you're in the Old Testament, that's what you are, are being pointed to. There's something greater than just the, like an immediate deliverance. There's something greater than just the immediate priesthood. It's pointing to something more. All the feasts, Passover, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, all those are a picture of Christ and his work. That's what they had. See how gracious God is to give the people that, even as he's preparing uh, to, to come and make redemption for, that, for the fullness, in the fullness of time. So, so even, even structures like the tabernacle and then the temple later on, they represent Christ. Do a study on that sometime. Or we should do a study on that. You'll see almost down every little detail points to the person and work of Christ. The sacrifices that are made, they point to that one ultimate sacrifice. We know that even from Hebrews. That's why Jesus said to those two on the road to Emmaus, this is what he said to them, and he's speaking in the Old Testament. In Luke chapter 24, he says this, he said to them, oh foolish ones, you're so slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. That's exactly what Paul says, the prophets have spoken of him. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, he interpreted to them all the things in scriptures, all the scriptures, in the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he's saying, look, in the Old Testament, when you see that, that's talking about me. When you read that, that's pointing to me. That's the gospel of the Old Testament. Again, it's so grounded. 
It's not just something, you know, willy-nilly that's made up. It is there. It has been there. How about when he's talking to Nicodemus? He's saying, Nicodemus, you're a teacher. You, you should know you're, a, you're a, a respected teacher of the law and a priest. And you don't know this, that a man must be born again, that it's by the Spirit. It's, it's all there, man. You're missing it. So Jesus rebukes Nicodemus, the, the teacher. He, his chosen ones from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, all the faithful looked forward by faith to Christ. And we also know that from Hebrews chapter 11, that they were looking for a city built by God, that that Moses chose to endure suffering for the sake of Christ. So all of this, Paul is, is just saying, look, it's in there. This is the gospel. This is the only hope that we have in Christ. The whole Testament is about Jesus. Every book of the Old Testament, I'm not going to do every single book, but every single book contains an element of the person of work of Christ, right? In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. He's the one who's going to crush the serpent's head. He's the Passover lamb of Exodus. He's the high priest of Leviticus. He's the prophet like Moses of Deuteronomy. He's the kinsman redeemer in Ruth. He's the good shepherd of the Psalms. He's the suffering servant of Isaiah. He's the faithful husband of Hosea. He's the son of righteousness of Malachi. And you could do a study on that and see Christ in every book of the scripture. And not just like one thing, but several things and many things in those books. Jesus is the promised one. And that's what Paul wants to make sure that they know. And it is consistent. That's what's so cool about this. It's consistent. It's coherent. It's not too difficult to see once you start reading and seeing with eyes of belief. You could see it very plainly, what God is doing. And just think about that for a moment. In God's grace and his providence, think about the 39 books of the Old Testament written by many, many different, many different authors over 1,500 years, and yet it comports. And yet it, it, it's consistent. And yet you see how it flows and holds together so beautifully as it points to Jesus Christ. Now listen, man, I'm not, and I'm not telling you this to try to convince you. I don't, I'm not doing that. I mean, it is very compelling if, if you want to go that way of evidence, but I'm not doing this to tell you to try to convince you. Oh, you should believe because it's true. Look, it is true, man. It's true whether you believe or not. It's simply the things that I've talked about right now are simply confirming the fact that it's true. It's not that you know, well, look at this, how, how good it is. And you really should believe because there's a lot of evidence there. Oh, man, look, it's true. Either you believe it or not, but it's true. He is the one promised. He is the one spoken of. He is the only way. Jesus Christ came to save sinners from their sins out of his love and mercy. So Paul says it. Don't you love Paul? How amazing he says this. He says, look, I'm a servant called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And then number three, we're already in number three. The gospel centers on Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus, man. It's all about Christ all the time, 100%. It's Jesus Christ. He is the central theme of Scripture. And Paul, right here, just this verse basically tells us what qualifies him to be the Savior, right? He says, verse 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We'll stop right there, verse 4. That's an amazing verse. Do you know how deep that verse is? We, that, that is like one of the great Christological passages in Scripture. It's great import regarding who Jesus is, the person and work of Christ. In that one little passage, it's like, like in Philippians 2. This is a, amazing what he's saying here about Jesus because he's bringing out both Jesus' humanity and his deity. This is a very important teaching, a very important teaching of Scripture and one of the foundations of our faith that Jesus Christ as Savior is both fully human and fully divine in one person. That's a big deal. That's a deep doctrine. And there were many councils, several councils, that talked about that because people would come with different errors and different ideas. Well, Jesus really can't be fully human and fully God. That doesn't work. So there's all different kinds of errors that had to be straightened out because this is a hard concept to wrap our minds around, and yet it's what Scripture plainly teaches. And it's important that he's both, it's vital that he's both human and divine in terms of our salvation. This is how much he loves us, right? So Paul says he is fully human, concerning the son who descended from David according to the flesh. That means that Jesus is fully human. That means that he is fully man. He did everything that a man did. He got hungry. He was tired. He ate. He uh, drank all those things. He wasn't like, like a superhero that didn't have to have those certain things. He was fully human, descended according to David to, from the flesh, according to the flesh. He's fully human in order to deal with our sins and identify with us. And he was from the line of David. That's that promised line from where Messiah would come. So even in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 49, the blessings to the, to the patriarchs. It says this, the scepter, and that's, that's the rod, that's the kingship. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. That, again, not just talking to Judah on one level it is the, the line of the kings, and kind of you know, can see that in David and in other kings, but ultimately it goes beyond David when he talks about uh, obedience of the peoples. It goes beyond, it goes to Christ. Just like Second Samuel chapter 7, this is the promise. When, you're, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. See, that's a big deal. He's not just talking about the line and succession of kings, but ultimately he's looking to the king and the king of kings, and that's Christ. And we know that, especially from Revelation chapter 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So we see this reference, that's a direct reference to Christ himself. Even the Heidelberg Catechism, usually we use the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Heidelberg Catechism is really good as well. It says, why must Christ, or why must he be truly human and truly righteous? And the answer is, God's justice demands that human nature, which has sinned, must pay for its sin, but a sinner can never pay for others. Again, if you know the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that's great. Heidelberg Catechism is beautiful as well. It's very pastoral. Uh, I recommend that to you. Um, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 15 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God in the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, uh, abounded for many. Again, so we see that in Christ, that man, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 2, I'm just going to turn to chapter 2. If you'd like to turn, you may. Hebrews chapter 2. See, this is Christ having to be just like us. And you have to understand what's behind this. This is the love of the Father so much for you, for you, for sinners like you, that he would send his son to take on the flesh, to identify with you so you don't have to go to hell. You understand? To, to save us from our sins. Don't, don't let this get lost on you, the, the death, because we're talking about theological concepts and ideas, but don't let it get lost on what he's actually doing it's because there's no way that you could save yourself. So he comes and identifies with us in order to save us. Do you understand? That's a big, big deal. So in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, he says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That is to pay for our sins, to satisfy the justice and wrath of God. For because he himself has suffered, when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. You see that? This is why Christ is fully human. That's why Paul says, <clears throat> the sonship from David, he had to be fully human so he can identify with us, so he can identify with you, so he could actually truly keep the demands of the law, being tempted in every way yet without sin, so he could actually suffer the penalty and the consequences for sin that our sins might be forgiven, that he might sympathize in, with us in our weakness. That's why he's fully human. That's why Christ came. He could have just said, oh, poof from heaven, okay, you're forgiven. No, this is what he did, and this is why he did it. And you don't deserve that. None of us deserve that. But it shows the measure of God's love for sinners like us. That should move you. That should move you deeply, that he would be willing to do that, that God himself would be willing to come down and identify, and live the life that you never could live, the life you don't want to live. Right? We want to live our own lives. We want to do what we want to do. And we're going to sin when we want to sin. And we're going to talk back when we want to talk back. And nobody's going to tell me what to do. See how rebellious we are? How proud we are? And yet he came for you. Fully man. But also fully God. So Paul says... <clears throat> And he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only was he fully human, fully man, but fully God. Now listen, the resurrection, he, he didn't become the Son of God or fully God after the resurrection. The resurrection simply showed that he always was God, that the grave could not hold him. You understand? He is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Christ 
He's truly man and truly God. And we, we got a glimpse of his glory even when he's there on earth, that, didn't we? Didn't, right? From the Gospels, we know. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, in all his glory, they had to bow down. They couldn't even bear to, to look at him in, in, in all that, that light of glory. But even more than that, in his ministry, how do we know that Christ is truly God as well? Because, see, that's a really hard part. We can understand him being man, and we can identify that. But truly God? How does that happen? Again, we could be here for days and weeks discussing that. We can have entire, there's entire classes in seminary that talk about that thing. But for our purposes here this morning, we could just look at the Gospels. What did he do that only God can do? If it starts storming this afternoon and we're at our picnic, and I say, be still, what's going to happen? It's going to keep on raining, man. When the storms were on the, on, and the waves were rolling, Jesus said, be still. And the winds calmed down and the seas were like glass. Who is this man that even the winds obey him? They bowed down and they worshipped him. After that, Thomas worshipped him. Others worshipped him. Jesus did not say, get up, stop worshipping me. Peter did. Paul did. When people tried to worship them, they said, no, 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 no. I'm a man just like you. Get up. But when they paid homage to Jesus, he didn't say, get up. He received worship. That's reserved only for God. You shall worship the Lord your God only. When he said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. What did the, how did the leaders react? <laughs> no. Who does he think he is? Only God can forgive sins. That's right. They were right. See? What do we do with this? Either he was a lord or a lunatic or a liar. Right? And the shells. When he received that worship, even the statements that he made about himself. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. And what did they want to do? They wanted to stone him because he's making himself out to be God. Fully man, fully God. His name is Emmanuel. Why? What's that mean? God with us. And why? Why fully God? Because, now listen to this, and this is important. Fully man, as, as he sympathized, as he lived the life we could never live, paid the price we deserve to pay on the cross. Fully God. You know why? Because our sin is against God. That's where our sin is. It's always against, every time you sin, oh, we're derivative. When we sin against each other, we hurt each other. But ultimately, who are we sinning against? If I sin against my kid, is it just against my kid? No, ultimately it's against God. So we are sinners against God by nature and by choice. Our sin is against God. We need to be reconciled to that God. We don't need to be reconciled to the universe. We don't need to be reconciled to a tree. We don't need to be reconciled to some false phony God. We need to be reconciled to the God that we sinned against. And the only way that we are reconciled to to the God we sinned against is by the God we sinned against. 
He's the one who reconciles us. We can't do it on our own. That's why Christ came. Listen, what are you saved from ultimately? You're going to say hell? Yes, we're going to be saved from hell. From God's judgment and wrath? Yes. But, but ultimately, on the most basic level, when you are saved, when you're transformed, you are saved from God. You are saved from God. You are saved from the wrath of God the Father because it's righteous and it's just. And not only that, you are saved by God. You don't save yourself, man. You, don't, you can go with all the books that you want of how good you are and what you did and how you tried. God's going to no, not good enough. Why not? Because it's not perfect. And there's no second place prize. Like everybody gets a prize today. There's no loser trophies, man. You're either in or you're out. That's it. So we're saved by God, and that's by grace. And then we are saved to God. And that means by his spirit who is sanctifying us, who, is, who, is, who keeps us, who transforms our lives daily, who renews our minds as we grow in grace, as we put off the old man and put on Christ. So we are saved from God. We are saved by God. We are saved to God. What part do you play in that? Nothing. You take the gift that he gives you, the gift of faith and repentance. I believe, I repent of my sin, I'm yours. Even our faith is a gift so that you don't boast. Ha, I did it. Even repentance. He granted repentance to the Gentiles as well, so we'll rejoice in the Lord. Christ is the Son of God. And that's what Paul's saying. Among other things, the resurrection, I guess, among other things, proves that fact. Paul makes an extraordinarily powerful case for Christ and the gospel. The only Savior is sinners. And we are blessed as Christians to have that. So we remember this. It all starts and begins with the gospel. The good news of the gospel of God, the promise of Christ in the Old Testament, it's not something new. It's not newfangled. It's always been there, always part of his plan. And then the person of Jesus Christ who alone can save. It starts with the gospel. And now I want to... I want to I'm not going to say rebuke you, but I want to charge you this morning to to never assume the gospel because I think we do that too much. We just kind of assume or we just kind of play on the edges of the gospel and we're not going to tell people, look, you are a sinner according to the Bible. Your best isn't good enough no matter how hard you try. Well, I never did this, I never did that. If, If that's all it takes, then Jesus wouldn't even have to come. But he did come because we can't do that. So we need to be strong in that. We need to make sure that people realize how sinful we really are, man, and what we really deserve. That is the bad news. But then we have the good news of Christ, that Jesus did something about that. And I want you to be strong in that. Right? This isn't, this isn't made up. This isn't a, a fantasy. This isn't a glorified fairy tale. Many people think that's what Christianity is. It's not. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not a well-crafted story. It is the truth. And we're living in a day and age right now where there is, where truth is in short supply, where truth is just relative. And people just don't believe. They believe what they want to believe. And that's good for you, and that's okay for you, but not for me. Here's my life. And we see the state of the world and the chaos that's in the world because we've let go of truth, and we let go of the gospel for the most part. And we, we preach a watered-down gospel. This, it is not outdated, man. People, oh, you're just way back. That's, that's, that's something for back then, but we know too much today. Do we know too much today? 
It's needed today more than ever, man, because people are dying every day apart from Christ. And they don't even have two thoughts towards him, even one thought towards him. They're just going merrily along their way, on the way to hell, as they do what they want to do, as they turn their hearts and their faces against the Lord and say, this is who I am, this is what I want to be, and you mean nothing to me. You know, it's, we're, we're at a time, it's beyond insulting to God because we're not even acknowledging God in our day, Right? And that's even worse. At least if you're mad at God, you're acknowledging God exists. That's something. Today, God, it's God. That's why it's so important for us to preach the gospel and the gospel in all its fullness. You understand? Because it's not outdated. It's needed now more than ever, as you know. And we're in trouble. We're in trouble as a church, partly, and I would say almost mainly, at least in our time, because we failed to make the gospel a priority. We've watered it down in our churches way too much. And even in our lives, we just have. We try to be too cute with people. We're too cute. We're too clever. We try to get people in the back door. Try to be cool and invite them in and then pounce on them with the gospel. Don't do that. Just be straight. People need to hear it straight right now. Now's the time. The seeker-sensitive model, if you were our, on our class Thursday night, we spent a long time talking about that in our church history class and how that changes the whole dynamic of the nature of the church and what the church is actually for, right? So now instead of the church being a place where, the, where we're preaching the word and, and edifying and building up, now we just want people from the outside to come in and th- to see how nice we are, to see how cool we are. So what we do? We take surveys. Survey says less, <laughs> less preaching, more music. Okay, we could do that. Survey says no harsh words about sin and hell and death. You know, we want grace and mercy and love. Okay, we could do that. So, we, so we'll use euphemisms all the time. So we're not going to say sin is sin. But if I'm a, if I'm a, if I'm a, a sir, um, church growth model preacher, haven't we all made mistakes? And we've made some pretty bad mistakes in our lives. We've all made choices that that have led to, to trouble and to heartache and to pain, but Jesus is there to take that pain away from us. We've all made decisions that have been hurtful towards others. See, we just, we just, we just turn to Jesus who loves us so much and will you know, help us in our time of trouble. See, that's a, that's a cute message. That's nice. And then you have somebody saying, listen, the Bible says that we're sinners by nature and choice. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're rebels against God. When we do the things against God, we're doing it with intention. We're not going to mention too much about hell. There's that bad place. We don't want to go there. God wants you to be with him all the time. So they might not deny hell, but it's we're not really going to mention hell because that oh, that turns people off. But if you're preaching the word, you've got to say, look, you're on your way to hell apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ, apart from faith in Christ. See what I'm saying? Survey says, and so here's what we're going to do in the church. Survey says, and then you have big churches, and everybody's all happy, but there's no depth, and there's no gospel. So when you're challenged about your faith, uh, I don't know what the answer is to that. You know, how, how silly can you be? We have scientific evidence that, you know, the earth is this old, and, and evolution is a fact. If you don't know what you're talking about as a Christian, you're going to be like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, maybe. Well, I'm a Muslim. I'm a practicing Muslim. And I love God in my way. Who are you to tell me I can't? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that is good. See, that's, that's exactly what's happening in our day and age because survey says less doctrine, more practical. 
Just tell me how to live my life. How, how to help my kids obey me. How to get my husband to be a better man. Just give me that, you know, give me those principles. Don't be so judgy. Survey says, not too much judgment, but be kind. We've done it. We've done that. It's time to get back to the gospel. And Paul says it here. Before he starts anything else in his letter, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've taken the edge off. We've taken the edge off the gospel, which makes it less than good news. Because if you take the edge off the gospel, if people don't think they're that bad, if they think they're okay, if they don't you know, really believe there's even, everybody's going to kind of end up in heaven, what kind of gospel is that? You have to know what you are saved from, who you are saved by, and what you are saved to. It's time. This has gone on for 40 years with the survey, the church growth movement, and look where we're at as Christians. Look where we're at as a church. It's time. It's time to get back to the truth, and that begins right here.